May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here today. I want to talk to you this morning about this reading from John, chapter 3. Big idea is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is um, the confessional summary of the gospel, the good news. Nothing uh, is more important than this. This is the promise uh, fulfilled, the hope of the Old Testament that one day we would be reconciled with the Father because of the, the breaking of that relationship in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve. And through that sacrifice on the cross, we're reconciled with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think in our modern-day faith and religious world, uh, this truth is sort of pushed to the side. But it needs to be front and center. This is it. This is what's really, really important. I always think of John, this is probably a little irreligious, but I always think of John chapter 3 as Nick at night. Wasn't that a TV show or something? Nicodemus means conqueror of people. The name means conqueror of people. Very august, powerful. Just so you know, Donald means world ruler. Just saying. Come on, Charlie. That was funny. You can laugh. <laughs> Pharisees. There were about 6,000 of them. They'd been around uh, since about 200 B.C. or so. Uh, this particular Pharisee, Nicodemus, was wealthy. In chapter 19, we read Nicodemus also. This is at the crucifixion, also who had first come to him by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. Uh, that was a very expensive item in those days. Uh, he was wealthy. He was also a member of the Sanhedrin. That means he was a member of, it would be like being a member of the Senate and the Supreme Court, both at the same time. Very, very powerful very, very influential person. He was rich, but wealth does not save. There are many wealthy people who are very unhappy people. All you have to do is go through the checkout line at Publix and look at the newspapers that are there, and the front page of every one of those newspapers always seems to have someone that the world says, they've got everything you need, everything you need. Wealth, fame, talent, but it's always the miserable. Whether it's Megan and Harry or some actor or actress, and you just, I mean, I know what, I, I just keep thinking, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. I compare that with um, going to Africa, for example. Hello, Vitalis. Vitalis is always watching.
Now the good news is that when does this get activated? The other, the other implant get activated. Two weeks? Your other implant. I know, I know when is it activated. Okay, so in, in like two weeks, it's all going to be turned on. And, and Rachel is going to be able to hear normally, right? And your voice will change, right? Right? If there's anybody visiting today, you'll, you'll get it later. It doesn't really. So you go to an African church, and it's, it's not real big. It's got a, it's got a dirt floor. Uh, maybe there's some folding chairs for older people. Older people would be over 50. Okay, that's the old crowd. Uh, I'm serious. I mean, in, when I, in Rwanda, up until a few years ago, the average age lifespan was like 49 or 50 years. Well, they don't have what we have. They don't have the medical treatment we have. And just think about it. Vitalis has never been to a dentist because there's no dentists. He had never been to have his eyes examined because there was nowhere to get his eyes examined all those years without glasses. So you go into this place, and they really, compared to us, they have almost nothing. But when you see them and you interact with them, their faces glow because you know who they've got? Jesus. They have Jesus 24-7, morning, noon, and night. And as although they're up against it, they know they're not alone. Some of you are up against it in a very, very serious way. And I want you to know you're not alone. You're not alone. As difficult as it is right now, the way things have changed from the way they used to be to the way they are now, you're not alone. He was respected. I know people with walls filled with plaques and awards, trophies, and things like that. But that doesn't change who we are, what we are, sinners in need of a Savior. We had an Eagle Scout presentation here yesterday. Ceremony was wonderful. Liam Gallagher, um, Lassie Tompkins' grandson, and Lalarook and uh, Dennis's son. So we had a nice crowd, and, and the whole, the whole um, altar area was filled with stuff that, that he was going to be presented. So they had to bring this table up here and put it over here. And it was thing after thing after thing, an award, a presentation, a pin, a this, a that. And then we had a sergeant from the sheriff's department over here with his plaque and his thing, and, he, and he's piled it all up over here. And it was wonderful. <clears throat> I think it's wonderful when you attain the rank of Eagle Scout. It takes a lot takes a lot of work and effort and time. He's been in this, he's in college now, he's over at CF, and he started Boy Scouts in third grade. So he's been working on this for a long time. And it's wonderful that you're an Eagle Scout, but it doesn't save you. Money doesn't save you, ability doesn't save you, respect doesn't save you, nothing saves you except recognizing who you are as a sinner in need of a savior. He was also religious. He was religious to a degree that we cannot imagine. William Barclay puts it like this. This was quarter of the life of a Pharisee. Sorry, Lord. <clears throat> the kind of thing the Pharisees did was this. To tie a knot on the Sabbath was to work. 
but a knot had to be defined. The following are the knots, the making of which renders a man guilty. The knot of camel drivers and that of sailors, of course. And as one is guilty of, by reason of tying them, so also of untying them. On the other hand, knots which could be tied or untied with one hand were quite legal. Further, a woman may tie up a slit in her shift in the strings of her cap and those of her girdle, the straps of shoes or sandals or skins of wine and oil. Now see what happened. Suppose a man wished to let down a bucket into a well to draw water on the Sabbath. He could not tie a rope to it, for tying a knot in a rope was illegal on the Sabbath, but he could tie it to a woman's girdle and let it down, for a knot in the girdle was quite legal. That was the kind of thing which the scribes and Pharisees, to which the scribes and Pharisees was a matter of life and death. That was religion that to them was pleasing and serving God. Religion attempts to turn over new leaves, regeneration transforms lives. Religion is man's efforts to reach God. Regeneration is God's effort to reach man. We come here each week to celebrate our relationship with God, but coming to church is not salvific. Participating in the Eucharist is not salvific in and of itself. Scribes worked out the regulations, the Pharisees kept them, and that was Nicodemus. He came by night, it was either caution, he didn't want to be seen by anybody else, or maybe it was just the best time to go talk to somebody. The scholars are a little divided on that. He knows that Jesus is special because in verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, it says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He knows that there's something very special about Jesus. And Jesus says he must be born again, born anew, born from above to enter the kingdom of God. Born again. I am not a Baptist. I'm not. Being born again is not a Baptist understanding. It's biblical. It's in the word of God. This is how it works. Evangelism, Evangelion, the good news. I came from a family that was Boston Irish Catholic. I'm telling you, Boston Irish Catholic. I went to a Catholic school in western New York State. I went to the Catholic church. I was an altar boy, not an acolyte, altar boy. Um, in church every week, several times a week, because in the morning at 7 o'clock service, I was an altar boy maybe two or three times a week because I lived across the street from the church, and this is where the, the nuns had their service. You know? That was always fun. The Sisters of, sisters of Mercy. <laughs> Not so much. Anyway, in all those years growing up, Oh, here we have the nuns from Naples. I'm sorry. <laughs> what was your order? Franciscan. They're okay. No, they're good. They're good. <laughs> 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 
in all those years in the church, I never heard the gospel. I never heard it one time. I heard about being good. I heard about the church. I heard about sac- I heard about church stuff. I heard about giving, stewardship, living a good life, but I never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Kathy, my wife, grew up in an Episcopal church up in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Every Sunday, you guys are in church. All those years, not one time did she hear the gospel. Not one time did she hear what I'm telling you today. And I've told you probably many times. It's just part of who we are. You know. So a lot of people grow up in the church but don't hear good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ ever. And that's sad. So Jesus says he's got to be born again, and Nicodemus is incredulous. What do you mean? i got to get back into my mother's womb. What is this? It's not an adherence to religious rules or the accident of birth, but a new birth. It's a rebirth. It's entering into a whole new relationship with God that you never had before. It happened for me in May of 1982. For Kathy, it was 1979. And a lot of you here could say when it occurred for you. Um, I, mine happened on a Curcio weekend. That's, a, that's kind of a Holy Spirit four-day weekend. We call it Anglican Fourth Day here. That's kind of the new version of it, but it's really the same thing. And I encountered Christ in a way that I had never encountered Christ before. I gave my life to him in a life-changing way. It was funny. I was in the Navy. <laughs> so I'm a... Lieutenant Commander in the Navy, I'm at this duty station down in, in uh, Patrick Air Force Base, and I'd had this experience with God, and I went to see my rector, Chris Epting. This is the entire meeting. Hey, Father Chris. Hey, Don. Chris, I don't think I can be in the Navy anymore. Why is that? I've become a Christian. Don you really think God doesn't want Christians in the Navy? I said, no, that's stupid. See you later. Have a nice day. It was like 30 seconds, but I didn't know that I could, if I could stay in the Navy now that I was this new person and I had this old new thing, but, but God had other ideas and off we went. I really did have that meeting with him. Ugh. Verse 16, God loved. He didn't hate. He loved the world. When John uses the word world, it's cosmos. It means those who do not know or love God. Those who do not know God, those who do not love God. He loved those who did not know him or love him. He gave. He wasn't forced to do anything. He gave. His his son, the greatest gift you can give. Whoever means anyone. You don't need a special pedigree. You don't have to come from a a particular family. It's just anybody who believes, putting full faith in him. Not religion, not good works. Paul in Ephesians says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. It's a very different 
I went to a funeral one time, and the priest said that the person who had died was baptized and took the sacraments. She's good to go. Because she was baptized and took the sacraments, she was good to go. Baptism is a sacrament. God is the active agent in all sacraments. But baptism in and of itself is not so little. You could take communion 20 times a day for the rest of your life. It is not salvific. It connects us with God. This is, this is, this is the, the sad part about it. We think that somehow doing these things will get us where we need to be with God. No. No. I think of the thief on the cross. I doubt he went to communion. I doubt he was baptized. All he said was, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I tell you the truth, you will today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. He put his faith in Jesus. That's it. That's what you do. It isn't a, and now, all this other stuff is good. It's beneficial. It's helpful. It's godly. It brings us closer to him in many, many ways. But it doesn't save us. Shall not perish, meaning be separated from God for eternity. Somebody chastised me not too long ago because I typically say, separated from God for eternity. They say, you need to say hell. You need to use the word hell, Father Donald. When I say separated from God for eternity, it's hell. Okay? You don't want to go there. It's a real place. But have eternal life with God for eternity. When we come to faith in Christ, we're different. Things change. Now, things can change in our lives kind of like that, you know, if you've ever been in a tornado. Or how about those people down in southwest Florida after that hurricane? Pretty much everything changed for them. How would you like to be somebody near Palis East Palestine, Ohio right now? No. You have situations in families where um, people change. Things happen. It's not the way... It used to be, but it is what it is. And how am I dealing with it? How am I coping with it? How am I reaching out to God? And is he responding to me as I go through whatever it is I'm going through? When we come to faith in Christ, our life is transformed. Some people are trapped in bitterness and addiction and sinful habits, willful unbelief, blissful ignorance. I was saying to Kathy this morning before she came to church, I said, I, I think of people who used to come here, but they don't come anymore. Not, it's not that anything happened, but I think they just don't come. And I wonder if that ever meant anything to them. Or was it blissful ignorance? Or was it going to church? I don't know, but it, it's, it's sad. I'm hoping that the people who come here are benefiting from it as we come together for the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. Maybe some people say, how could a loving God allow fill in the blank? How? Billy Graham, another well-known Anglican, you may be saying at this point, I'd like the kind of personal relationship with Christ, but I don't know where to begin or what I should do. 
Many years ago, Billy Graham wrote a little track called Four Steps to Peace with God. These four steps summarize how a person can be born again. Step one, God loves you and wants you to know him. The most famous verse in the Bible comes from Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. John 3.16 tells us that God offers eternal life to anyone who will believe in Jesus. God makes, me, makes the same offer to you that he makes to the entire world. He truly wants you to be forgiven and to spend eternity with him in heaven. Step two, your problem is sin, which separates you from God. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of, the glory, of God's glory. That simply means that no one is perfect because, of all, because all of us have sinned in thought and word and deed. You know how many sins it takes to send you to hell? Just one. And most of us can take care of that first sin before we even get out of bed in the morning. Step three, God's remedy for your sin is the cross of Christ. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. By his death on the cross, Jesus Christ took your place. He died on the, the death you should have died and paid the penalty for all your sins. And the, step four, your response is to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. 1 John 5.13 says that you can know you have eternal life through believing in Christ. Salvation depends on trusting Jesus Christ. It's more than just believing facts about Jesus. To trust in Christ means to rely completely upon him. Trust is what you do when you fly in a plane. You trust the pilot to get you back down on the ground safely. You trust a doctor when you take the medicine he prescribes. You trust a lawyer when you let him represent you in court. God says that when you trust Jesus Christ in that same way, you are saved from your sins. All you have to do is trust Christ completely, and you can be saved. Tim Keller says this, faith is transferring your trust from your own efforts to the efforts of Christ. You were relying on other things to make you acceptable, but now you consciously begin relying on what Jesus did for your for your acceptance with God. All you need is nothing. If you think God owes me something for all my efforts, you are still on the outside. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. And so if you're born again, sins are forgiven by God. We have a new life in Christ. We never face God's judgment. We're declared not guilty. And we're going to heaven when we die. Now, a lot of times people will say, let's say a sinner's prayer. I think sometimes that's just like checking the box. I said the prayer, I did the dance, I raised my hand, I'm good to go. It's not that. Saying the prayer can be very helpful if you mean it. I would ask you to, when you leave here today, to just reflect, where am I with what Father Don had to say today? Where am I with John 3.16? Where am I with God? Have I really, really had that experience with Jesus Christ <clears throat> whereby I know that my sins are forgiven, that I know um, he's with me, that I know I will be in heaven with him? Let's listen to this. If you want to sing it, you can. In this time desperation when all we know is doubt and fear there is a 
Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back again. We believe so. Can I say something, she says. I guess so. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. I just want to say that we can say we're Christ followers, but if there's no fruit on that tree, we're in trouble with God. And so I want to invite you today to get on your knees. In Check in the box. And I want you to really examine yourselves because we need to be the church, the church that is holy and without spot or wrinkle. And we can't be that if it doesn't start right now in here with us. And that means we live a life of repentance. We live a life of daily forgiveness against our neighbors. We don't gossip about one another. We don't do the things that Jesus sees us do. He sees everything. My mother used to tell me he watches everything. 
And so I invite you today to go home, like Father Don said, but get on bow before the king. We're going to bow someday before King Jesus. And he is going to watch and judge our fruits and see what we're made of. And so it's the Lenten season. This is I surrender everything to you. Everything that's not of me, that is not of you, Lord, living in me. I at the foot of the cross this Lenten season. That's what Lent's about. Giving it up. Repent, turning around. Glory to glory. We are called to change. If we're not different than we were even last week, we're not. Bow to King Jesus this Lenten season and let go of those Thank you. Amen. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Wow. Um, hang on. Just might as well just keep standing. We're going to say the creed. Um, but we will be having kneelers soon. Sooner. Right, Matthew? Where'd Matthew go? Where's Matthew? Is he hiding now? Oh, we will. We will. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen.